We want to take a moment to thank Garmin for their very generous support of our yearly habits challenge and fundraiser. Enthusiasm is common, endurance is rare, and Garmin leads the way by creating superior products that are engineered on the inside for life on the outside, right in our backyard in Cochrane, Alberta, which is where product development is done on many of the devices that you know and love. Like us, Garmin believes in making the most of the time you spend pursuing your passions. And with their help, we want to help you power your potential all year long. Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Commitment doesn't need to look a certain way. Commitment can say, I'm in this space right now. This is the capacity that I have. So I'm going to do this. And it might be less than what you were doing a week ago. It might be just a little bit more than you were doing last week. Commitment doesn't need to be all or nothing. It could honestly be taking two weeks off and then refocusing. That's commitment still. You're still committed. You just took a break. Hey, everyone. Meredith here. You're listening to the Afternoon Snack Podcast. And no, this is not a vocal filter. This is just what my voice sounds like right now. You're welcome. It's deep. It's awesome. It sounds like I should be doing late night radio. But I'm here with you. In your car, on your AirPods, on your walk, wherever you are. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the five pillars of success. And really, these are more like prerequisites or traits that we see and super successful people, whether they are clients of ours or professionals or athletes. These are things that are common among successful people. And they are hope and belief, no ego, trust and commitment, acceptance of reality, and introspection and reflection. In discussing these five pillars of success, we also discuss some common barriers to change. We really like talking about this topic because when people work on their fitness or they work on their nutrition, really what they're doing is trying to change behavior and ways of thinking and doing things, which is big work, it's deep work, and it requires people to work on their self-talk and the stories that they tell themselves. We really like this episode and we hope that you do too. to say the best part about being sick is this like voice that I get. I like it. You like it? Yeah. It's definitely better today than it was yesterday because I'm able to like you can hear my whole sentence. Yesterday was that phase of sore throat where it would like cut out. I would have like mute moments. I like it. You have a mix of who is that one that the fraud? Elizabeth Holmes. It's like a mix between Elizabeth Holmes and Sophia Bush. You have like the deepness combined with the raspiness. I can do an Elizabeth Holmes now. And you're like, first they fight you. Then they tell you you're crazy. And then all of a sudden you change the world. That's Elizabeth Holmes. Well, she's got like a bit more of a California accent going. I don't, I can't. Do I liked it. Did you like that? Yeah, I did. Did you feel inspired? No, I just liked the sound of your voice. It was sexy. Was it? Yeah. Okay, good. That's what I'm going for. Like, 
I may not be able to be sexy in real life. <laughs> Nobody actually wants to go near you because you're kind of sick. I'm oozing. But you sound nice. Drooling, leaking from my <laughs> nose and my eyes. I may or may not at any time have a booger <laughs> hanging out of my nose. But my voice is like 10 out of 10. Yeah. So here we go, I guess. All right. I have a question for you. And it's, what is a like scenario that you find yourself in somewhat often that you have like an irrationally emotional reaction to anger, frustration, like something that like you shouldn't react the way that you react, but you do. Okay. There are two. The first one, I don't want to open this can of worms today, Okay, but it's being invalidated. Oh, that's like a big one. It really is, especially by you. And I go into a tizzy. So especially if I feel invalidated and then I ask you to validate me and then you invalidate more. I mean, it's like it's a whole pattern. Like I said, I don't want to get into it. Yeah. We've worked very hard on getting after that. Yeah. But that. So but I guess in a, on a lighter note, I have another one. Well, I was going to say some people may not know what that means to be invalidated in like a conversation or in an argument or just like in a feeling in a moment. What would be like an example of an invalidating comment? I mean, it's going to sound like I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, but I think it's like, oh, don't be silly. Mm. Like, that's a small one. And, like, maybe I can, in some instances, like, be okay and be, like, Meredith or, like, whoever I'm talking to. Yeah. But, like, I would say that and then, like, that when you're already emotionally charged about something. Like, when something's really impacting me and you're, like, don't be silly. I guess that's not even a good excuse. Like, I feel like that's not what I do. Or if I say that really bothered me and then you say I didn't do that. Something like that. Yeah. Where you, I mean, I guess. And then you, not only do you feel invalidated, but you feel crazy. Yeah, I mean, that is like an element of gaslighting, which I guess is a form of invalidation mixed with like kind of narcissism. Yeah, but I also know that you have this like defense mechanism. I do. So it's not like you're trying to make me feel crazy or you're trying to like make things worse. It's like a self-preservation. And it's all about like patterns, which we learned about. Yeah, I'm defending myself. And some of that is probably ego driven. Mm -hmm. And then maybe some part of it is like fear driven. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But okay, on a lighter note, I would say walking behind someone slow and this Mm -hmm. happened to me in the grocery store the other day okay it's like i am that person i don't do it on the road because i'm like i'm a pretty like easygoing driver but when i'm on foot i'm that person that like dangerously passes like the other day i had to pass it was yesterday actually i was getting you cough medicine and i had to pass somebody in the pharmacy down the aisle and there were like two of them one was walking behind the other so i have to pass them And the other day I did that thing that like in a car, it doesn't make sense. You pass someone and then you end up at the same red light. But like at a grocery store, like you're never stopped by a red light. There are other things that you can be stopped by, though. Like what? Like stocking carts. Yeah. Children. Yeah. Other people. Lineups for getting deli meat cut, which I don't do anymore. I do the prepackaged stuff. So for deli meat because I was a situation I was doing the thing where you ask them to cut a certain amount yeah and it was taking too long I'm like I just don't have time for this so now I do the prepackaged stuff oh goodness. it's not as good but it saves time and it saves like I just don't get as annoyed it makes you feel better about but yeah slow talkers slow talkers it's talkers or walkers so, walkers slow walkers well, slow talkers would be annoying. yeah too. slow talkers are annoying I mean remember our vet the vet where you're like oh my goodness He's like, well, okay, so the problem with a cat eating twine is that, yeah, sometimes they can pass it, but 
Other times, depending on the <laughs> twine and the texture of it, it can make it maybe partially into their small intestines and then get held up. And as they digest it, the small <laughs> intestines start that to... That is the perfect example. And I'm going to stop you there because I was starting to get mad again. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I understand that. That was annoying for me too. What about you? Oh, probably... And I, I just went through this when I was setting up the mixer. And now that I am looking at all these gourds, I'm getting mad again. But I would say like tangled gourds. What about tangled jewelry? Well, I, I don't get that mad at tangled jewelry because I don't want to like damage it. I usually like the jewelry. But like when it's in a little knot. Yeah. Hey, I used to have a fascination with like untying jewelry knots. My moms would get in a knot and then I would like get the tweezers and I would untie it. And it's like the more complicated the knot, the more I enjoyed doing that. But I don't have the same like affection or fondness for tangled electronic cords. That's really unfortunate because every single one of your electronic cords, and you have a lot of them. Yeah. Because your electronics are tangled. Well, yes. Yeah. I usually try to do a better job of like putting the podcast equipment away because I know that future Meredith will appreciate a little bit of care in how they get packaged up. But I was in a rush today because the cleaners were coming. And so I just like, unplugged everything and shoved it under the little shelf thing. And then when I just got it out so we could record this, it was just in a big knot. Like I get to the point where all I want to do is just like shake it violently, even though I know that won't solve the problem. But it makes me feel better. We're in a better situation now that we're not moving like back and forth between houses. Yeah. Because our this is so like ridiculous. And it it makes me feel like just a starter of a business owner. Mm-hmm. But we used to travel with like our podcast equipment in a giant duffel bag. It was. It was like a CrossFit Games bag, duffel bag. Was, and talk about tangled cords. I mean, maybe that's where this all started for me. It was like, I would have to do that once a week. Yeah. Just like, that was hard. Sort it out. But then I was like, I'm going to buy a case for the podcast equipment. And so I like, I went on, you can go on Pelican and like design a case, like a travel case. And it ended up being like, And I was like, I mean, (sighs) Alex will divorce me if I buy that. I can't buy a $900 travel case. And Ivy used to sit in the bag too. So the mics would just be covered in hair. Yeah, this is a better situation. And then Lindsay would come over and we'd be like, here's your mic. It is covered in hair. You like cats, right? (laughs) In your mouth. There's a joke there. Anyways, what are we talking about today? Okay, I don't know what the title of this is. I think... Originally, we were thinking like the five pillars of success. Well, obviously, you'll know the title because we'll come up with it. The title, it. the title tends to emerge. It does. It will emerge. We'll know it by the end of the episode. Like a rock emerging from the sea as the tide goes out. Or like a beautiful seashell that you don't know is there. And then you're like, oh, my God, look at that beautiful seashell. I had no idea that was there. That's, That's how titles are. Yeah, we rarely ever start with the title. We have an idea. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, so, let's but you already know the title. I know the working title, which is the five pillars of success. No, the listener knows the title. Oh, at this moment in time. Yeah. Because they, yes, how meta it is. But really, this is two weeks before you're hearing our voices. We're time traveling. <laughs> we should get the Inception or interstellar music going. Yeah. Okay. But I think it's the five pillars of success. That's what I just said. The working title is. The working title. Okay. We should just get right into it. All right. Let's start with number one. Okay. And I honestly think we've posted about this one. I think this one is actually the most important. Yeah. 
So let's start it off first. The Go first one is you have to have hope and you have to have belief in who and what you can become and that the changes that you're after are actually possible. Yeah, or putting it another way that this will work. And I think this is when we talk about like pillars, there's also like common barriers to change. And I think that this is a major barrier to change is that people believe on a fundamental level because of previous experiences that nothing that they do will ever work. And that's sad because I think that when we're talking about the wellness industry and the health and the nutrition industry, so much of it is designed and not, you know, designed in a malicious way, but it just is designed for people to fail. And so you fail over and over and over again by no fault of your own, just because you are, you don't have the right toolbox and you're trying to use tools that aren't appropriate and unsustainable. Yeah, you do that enough and you start to develop the beliefs that you can't. When really, like, it's more a matter of being at the wrong starting point or entry point for behavior change. I think we talked about this a long time ago. Does, does the idea of reverse progress ring a bell? Yeah. Where it's yeah. like every time you start fresh, for lack of a better term, and you've started fresh several times with no success, and success is in quotes because success can be defined in many different ways for each individual person. But if you're starting over for, let's say, the 10th time, you're not actually starting from square one. You're starting from square negative 10. Like your hope that this is going to be the time that it works is now like reduced because of all the previous times that you haven't had success. But there's also two ways to look at that because I agree with you. And that starting over, starting over, starting over is what gets people into that sort of like programmed failure type mm -hmm. scenario. However, I oh. think that it's the belief that every time you do start, that you're starting from scratch and starting from zero that sort of sets the stage there because you can have as many experiences that are unsuccessful as you want. But if you go into whatever comes next with the belief that you're not starting from scratch, you're not starting from zero, you're starting from a place of experience and you can take those quote unquote failures forward and you can action the things that you learn from them then you can start to make progress. But yeah, you didn't fail. You learned. You yeah. learned what doesn't work. And that's valuable. Right. But I think it's a big leap to get people to understand that and to kind of learn like what to do through a process of exclusion and like being objective and honest with the reasons why certain things didn't work for them. So many people are programmed to just take it as like a personal failure when a program doesn't work where it's like, no, that program didn't work because it was written by someone who has 20 years of experience getting to the point where they could write that program. You have zero years of experience. That's why it didn't work. Yeah. Do you remember when we watched that video? It was in the gym. It was the day we put up the TV and you put on a video. I think you were on the treadmill. I was working out. You put up a video of like mountain biker and oh, it was yeah. somebody, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was Braden Bringhurst. He was climbing this trail in Moab called The Whole Enchilada. And it's in a film. So you can watch the film and it's called 8,600 feet. But The Whole Enchilada Trail is usually a downhill. Like people ride it downhill exclusively. And I guess he was originally just going to do like some techie. Like here's how you ride up. Really this guy's stuff. an outstanding mountain biker. It's ridiculous. But the whole story, like no one has ever ridden up the entire trail. Like in, every, in one day, every inch of and it. And also, yeah, in one day. And it's like 20 
six miles or something, 8,600 feet of vertical. Like it's insane. But yeah, I think you were going to say there's this one part in it. Yeah. Hey, there is this one part in it. And I was working out and I kept looking over and it was still on that same part. Yeah. And I think he attempted it 50 something times. It was like 54 attempts on this one section. And he finally got it. But somebody like that, you would almost think like, wow, that guy is so stubborn. And I think people in the video were actually like, this guy's super stubborn. And I don't necessarily think stubborn needs to be a negative characteristic. I think it's almost better. Stubborn is is no different really than persistence, except we're like determined. Yeah. Persistence has a more positive spin on it. I think language is appropriate here. But his persistency, that's not a word, no. but I'm going to say it, okay. was inspiring. And I think a lot of people could like be inspired by somebody like that or Mm -hmm. even just watching that one clip like and he finally gets it because each and every time he learned what not to do and it took that many times to finally get it and it's not only knowing what not to do it's i mean of course anything like physical and skill-based requires like it's not only like okay don't go there it's like also you need to know how to not go there and like how to maneuver the bike and stuff and your body position it's so technical yeah but even the slightest centimeter you're off and you mess up and you have to go back down yeah but that kind of reminded me of it it's not like every time he became more and more defeated i really just dislike that word it's basically like tried that didn't work yeah i'm gonna try something else that didn't work there were moments he got frustrated yeah but but it didn't stop him from trying again he was determined to do it yeah but what you're doing so like fundamentally like he believed that there was a way to ride up that section of trail and the entire trail, but like that section specifically, because it was like 50 plus attempts to get it. So like no matter how long it takes, he's like, I know that this can be done mm-hmm. fundamentally, number one. And then in the repetition, you're building a catalog of experience. And so it's everything that he does. And this is athletics generally, but in the like context of this film, like every attempt is like it goes into the bank, goes into the experience vault. And it's lines, it's body position, it's pedal pressure. It's all these things that go into successfully climbing up a techie section of trail. And without those failures, without those like negative experiences, he wouldn't have made it up because that's part of the process. No one just gets really lucky and cleans that entire section of trail or does something really hard without first failing at it. In mm-hmm. at least one way, probably more than one way. Yeah, and I'm sure that's not the first time. I mean, I'm sure like to get as good as he is at what he does, the amount of moments like that he's had in his life are yeah. probably just enormous. Yeah. And that's no different for fitness or nutrition. I mean, how many days did we struggle with a movement in CrossFit? Yeah. At a lighter weight, an easier weight, just like he probably struggled with an easier trail several times when he wasn't as good. And then it's the same thing, snatching, let's say 180. I mean, we struggle with that. But to get there, you have to struggle just as much at something even easier. Yeah. The process is long and it can be frustrating, but don't let it be defeating. But it's also like there's the belief that it can be done. Yes. And I really love this. So our friend Beth Bacon, who was on the podcast, posted, I think it was yesterday, it was a story. And she shares a lot of Olympic lifting content, which I love because I love Olympic lifting. And I've also shared this, but she shared it. And it's essentially, if you're an Olympic weightlifter, you're training it or you're competing in it. If there's a weight on the bar and you don't believe that you can lift it, you may as well not even walk up and put your hands on it because you won't. Mm-hmm. Like that's such a big part of having success in that sport, any sport, but that one feels relevant because I do it is like 
okay, I know I can lift this today. I know I have the potential to lift it today. And you might not. Like I've missed lifts that I thought I could make for one reason or another, but there's the belief that I can do it. And I've also, I have walked up to a bar that I was like, I can't do this. And what tends to happen is I pull it off the ground and that's where the lift start stops. Like, I mean, your body won't let you, but if for some reason you do overcome that and you try it, like your risk of injury is super high because you won't be solid with it. But yeah, I mean, if there's no hope, there's no point. No, really. It's that fundamental. And unfortunately, in, in nutrition and fitness, there's a lot of like believing that it's not possible. I mean, I've had yeah lack of belief and hope. And I've had clients who, you know, will try something for two weeks with me. And it's like, you know, starting a new nutrition program, unless it's something very extreme, like you're not going to see a whole lot of progress in two weeks. Like, or yeah, sure, like, you might start feeling better. You might start sleeping better. You might have more energy in two weeks. I mean, changes like that can happen immediately. But, you know, those big changes, like physical changes, the number on the scale, like that stuff doesn't happen in two weeks. And so you get someone who says to you, and this is exactly what I've heard, like, does this actually work for people? And you can say yes, but you know that it, they're not there. Right. It just, it's sad and it's hard to convince them. That goes back to that quote that I put up couple weeks ago, which is the thing that people will always believe is the story that they tell themselves. Yeah. And if the story that they tell themselves is that it's not going to work, it can't work, nothing will ever work. I'm just a failure in this. Nothing will ever work. That's it. But like, if you can help someone start to shift their beliefs and their identity towards like a person who does believe and does have hope, like then you can start making changes. And you take a lot of pressure off the results. Yeah. Part of that, I think, is helping people conceptualize like what results actually look like, like what progress actually is. Yeah. We were having a discussion with our coaching group yesterday at the team meeting, and we were trying to say, how can we nurture hope at the very beginning of the process? And one of the questions that we always send out additional questions when we start a new coaching client, and we decided that it might be helpful to add the question, why do you think that this is going to work? And work can mean anything. I mean, we ask people to list their goals in their own words. And so that, I I guess, is a way of defining their success or what they think is working. And I think that's a really good way to get someone to articulate and uncover the fact that they do think this is possible. And if it might so happen that somebody might say, like, I don't know if this is going to work. And then you can go down and say, why not? And it might say, because it hasn't worked in the past. And then you can say, well, why not? And explain why this might be different. And explain that you've learned a lot and you're in a great position to you know, start something different. So, yeah, I think that's a really important foundational pillar of success. Hope and belief. Awesome. Yeah. All right. What's number two? Number two, and I think this one kind of ties into that, is trust and commitment. Ooh. If okay. you don't have hope or belief, you're not going to trust something. You're, you're gonna always going to be doubting it. One foot over the fence. Yeah. Yeah. So how do trust and commitment go together then? I think that if you trust that something is going to work for you, so it's similar to hope and belief in that, then it will be much easier to stay committed for the long term. Because as I just mentioned, things don't happen overnight with nutrition and fitness or health. Or so you, anything. Yeah, you have to know that like, you have to stay committed for a long period of time for things to eventually work. And I keep using these words like progress and success and work. That is determined by the person. Right. I had a client the other day say, like, how do you feel about my progress? I'm like, how do you feel about your progress? Yeah. That's what I care about. I don't look at progress photos and say, like, oh, yeah, you're looking this, you're looking that. What do you think? Because that's what matters. Yeah. How do you feel? How do you feel about your habits, your lifestyle? 
your mental health, your mindset. Are you happy? Your like relationship with food. There's so many different areas that we can say progress. So that's what I mean when I say success or work or progress. So I think you have to trust that it will work in the long term for you to stay committed to it for a long term. Yeah. Committed is one month. That's not commitment. Oh, one month is a horrible proxy for how well something's working. One month. That's like you have to hold out for one month before things start shaking out. Yeah. I mean, like we've talked about this, I think with clients, there's a like for some reason, a, a high expectation on the like one to two month mark like period of time when for me what i get at one to two months in is a more complete understanding of the ways and areas in which we need to work uh-huh. like that's what becomes clear to me like sometimes people who are just very diligent and just a certain type of person can make progress at you know four weeks in eight weeks in but a lot of times that's where you see the ways in which people struggle start to show yeah that's where like kind of the motivation and dedication and excitement starts to wane Yeah, that like new, the shiny object commitment consistency starts to wear off. A lot of times they're like, especially with our program, because it's very moderate, results are not extreme. So there's like, there can be a bit of frustration at how slow progress is at that point. And then it's like, well, what's the point? And so then you see all the ways in which people historically struggle, start to show up. You know, if it's okay, like it's actually good when that happens because it really informs the path forward if the person is willing to stay on it. And you can more effectively work together at that point. But it's the buy-in. And it's a really important part of the process. Because if you skip over that, you never really address the underlying issues that people have that keep them stuck or prevent them from making the progress that they want to make. Because how do you work on something you can't see? Yeah. Yeah. I think the coaching process can look very different for somebody than they initially expected it to. Yeah. I mean, it's just by sticking with it. It evolves. Yeah. I think there's a huge value in staying committed to something, even when it's hard. You learn a lot about what that word actually means, committed, when it isn't convenient to be committed or being committed isn't getting you exactly what you want. I think it's easy to be committed when commitment is resulting in progress. It's resulting in money. It's resulting in good grades. All these tangible benefits of being committed to a process and to a goal. Staying committed when things get difficult can teach you a lot about yourself and it can show you your character. It can also develop your character. Like one of the biggest things that I see is how different people are with their emotional resilience. And one of the best ways I think to develop emotional resiliency is to resist relying on emotions to guide your path forward. And what that looks like is specifically in in adulthood, is like when things are not going your way and you have emotions, which by the way, totally valid. You can have all the feelings that you want. This is not to say that emotions are not appropriate. But the difference is, do you react to those emotions and let that dictate your next step? Are you upset because you're not making progress because the scale didn't go down, like whatever the metric is, and you let that emotion determine like your next decision or your next series of decisions or like do you experience that emotion and you hold that feeling but you can also hold the feeling of like I'm still committed to this I understand that it's going to be challenging and it's not always going to go my way and like carry on because I think that's a trait that super successful people have is they can deal with emotions and they can deal with feelings and they can feel frustrated without allowing those things to determine their future ultimately is what that is. So staying committed to a goal, even when it's difficult, 
starts to build that emotional resiliency, or at least it starts to develop the habit of putting space between the feeling and the response. So you you have the feeling, you hold the feeling, you understand the feeling is valid, but you delay responding to that until you're in a more rational state of mind. And when you are, it's easier to stay the course because it's it's a little easier to see, hey, the like time is going forward. The only thing I can truly control is my effort. And even though sometimes I'm, you know, I'm a human being and I have expectations of outcome or I have desires and hopes and wishes, I understand that I don't actually get to control those. So I'm going to choose to control what I can and not let what I can't control have any power over me. Yeah, and I think commitment doesn't need to look a certain way. Commitment can say, I'm in this space right now. This is the capacity that I have. So I'm going to do this. And it might be less than what you were doing a week ago. It might be just a little bit more than you were doing last week. Commitment doesn't need to be all or nothing. It could honestly be taking two weeks off and then refocusing. That's commitment still. You are still committed. You just took a break. I mean, like prime example, a lot of times when people get sick and they like miss a training day or a series of training days, that will just like emotionally wreck them. So like, for example, and not to, you know, make this all about me, but I'm not feeling super well. And I decided to take today off training, like off. I've been getting in my training or at least like a lot of it, like while I'm not feeling great, but today I decided to take off. But I'm still committed to exercise. I'm still committed to fitness. I'm still committed to, you know, my goals. And I can miss a training day because I don't feel good and still be committed to fitness. Commitment does not demand daily consistency or like adherence to very rigid standards of doing things. Yep. I mean, you can't argue with that. Hey, did you know Garmin has a whole line of devices designed to help you live your most active and healthy life? And many of those devices are developed and tested in Canada, right here in our backyard in Cochrane, Alberta. Smart activity trackers, fashion smart watches, smart scales, running and adventure watches. Garmin has everything you need to keep track of your fitness, improve your strength, monitor your sleep, and see how all of those things can create a better you. Choose your healthiest life. Choose Garmin. The third one is I always try to look for something that's more like additive and like inclusive, but this one is more like not that. It's no ego. Mm. Well, I guess the ability to check your ego. Yeah. I don't really know what the best way to word that is. Modest, having humility. I guess like, why don't we take a second and talk about how ego impairs people making progress? Like, I think ego, like fundamentally, it's people with large egos or people who let their ego kind of drive things struggle to fail. Like they struggle to be wrong. They struggle to receive feedback that is critical because it feels damaging to their like person. That's like the ego. It's like when something hurts your ego, it can feel like it's hurting you. And so there's all these protective measures. And I think a lot of times when you're working with a practitioner, especially in like a coaching relationship, if there's an ego, it can feel like, at least from our perspective, like there's a wall. There's like, there's something about this person that feels off limits or 
you know, sometimes people will say things that indicate there's like a distrust or they want to make sure that you know that they know things too. Or there's a lot of questioning that comes in that can feel inappropriate at times. I think that is often at odds with learning, with curiosity. Like I think to really get Uh, a lot out of... That's the one. I like that. Curiosity. Mm -hmm. Curiosity and humility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you have to have, I think as an adult, especially as an adult who's successful in other areas, and we see this all the time, like people who are very well-established in their careers, they make a lot of money, you know, they have a lot of accolades and the things that they do, like they're very successful objectively. When sometimes those people struggle to be beginners in this area because it's, it's like, how can I, this like uber successful adult, be a beginner in anything? It can take time if it's even ever possible to get them there. But to have curiosity when you're a person like that requires that you have humility. It requires that you take a big ass step back from your identity as a very successful person and say like, I can be a very successful person over here, but I'm humble enough to understand that like I'm a beginner over here. And we'll get into acceptance, but when someone has an ego, that perspective or that step is pretty much impossible to make because it can never be them. It can never be a shortcoming of theirs that is causing the problem. It's typically the program. It's the coach. It's some external factor that didn't mesh with them. It didn't work for them. When really all that needed to happen was some ownership, some acceptance, and a lot of curiosity. I guess there's one other, there's like the sixth pillar, which I'm not going to talk about much, but it, I think it ties in a little bit. So I'm going to mention it. And maybe this actually is commitment. Okay. But I do find that some people who come in and they're like, you know, I'm a very high level professional. Mm. I have all these accolades. And those are the people, and I know I'm maybe just putting people in boxes a little bit here, but those are typically the people who struggle to, I guess, acknowledge that they're going to be a beginner and it's going to take a lot of like work mm-hmm. and effort on their part. Some people often expect that when they put money into something, that is enough. But it takes more than putting money. It takes more than hiring a coach. You actually still have to do the work and make the commitment. And build the relationship with the coach. Yeah. And it just doesn't work because it's like they can't respond to things they're not. And that does tend to tie in with the ego. Yeah, there's a correlation there. And that's just, again, my experience in working with people. Yeah. But the next one is one of my favorites. And this is the ability to accept reality. Mm. And this is going to tie in with the fifth one, which is introspection and reflection. Okay. So those can almost be considered together, the fourth and the fifth pillar. But let's try to talk about acceptance of reality separately. I think the most confusing thing when I get a client is when it almost seems like they're maybe just starting the path to a healthier life and building habits or understand even what needs to happen. And they'll say like, I feel like I've learned everything that I need to know, or I feel like I'm in a really good place. I'm going to go out on my own. And that's okay. But I almost think there's a lack of acceptance of reality. Or, and I have to acknowledge with everyone, there's a lot of shit that people can carry and a lot of baggage and a lot of stuff going on. And just like food and nutrition and health, it's so emotionally charged Mm. for some people. 
And so sometimes it's just like they're not ready. There's maybe some shame, some embarrassment, some this. So I don't necessarily think for everyone it's like a lack of acceptance. Yeah. It's maybe just like a denial. It's like, I'm not ready yet to really accept that. It's no different than people with like mental health. I mean, I think we've all maybe either been there ourselves or known someone where it's like, you just, you want to say like, you have a problem that you need to fix to improve your life. Yeah. But that person just isn't ready to accept that. And like, I've been there with mental health. I've been there with other things. It's just like, it's the same thing for me, like being gay. Yeah. And again, I don't want to make this all about me, but it's like, you're just not ready to accept that part of you or accept that thing that you struggle with for whatever reason that it may be. And I think as soon as you can just face it, that is when the true healing or progress or productive steps can be taken. Yeah. That make any sense? It did. Yeah. I think that acceptance is a precursor to change. You have to accept where you are to get where you want to go. And that means like seeing with some amount of clarity, like where you are right now. I think a lot of people jump the gun and they see where they want to go. They see where they want to be. They see potentially the person that they want to evolve into and turn into. They see the changes that they want. And they make the mistake of starting there, which is sometimes doable. Like you can do that. And a lot of the programs that exist will help you do that. But then you bypass, like number one, you don't have to accept where you are. You just like, okay, I'm just going to jump 10 steps ahead and start over here. But that's usually a short-lived endeavor. I think there's a lot more value and not just a lot more value that you have to. You have to say, this is where I'm at. Even if it's not where I want to be, it doesn't change the reality of this is where I'm at. And the only way to get over there to where I want to be is through it. I don't get to jump over. I don't get to bypass that. I have to go through it. And anyone who's been through like a transformative experience, like I'm thinking specifically about Rich Roll here, who's like truly been like a rock bottom kind of situation, probably learns the most about themselves going through that, accepting like shit, like this is not good, but this is where I'm at and I have to get myself out. No one's going to come do it. That part of the process, like that phase, I think is really educational for people and can teach you a lot of grace and a lot of acceptance generally of not only yourself, but of other people. I think it can make you a softer person, a more caring person. And ultimately, develop the necessary self-compassion to like stay on, frankly, like an imperfect path, which we're all on. There's no perfect path. There's no perfect way to do any like the things that you want to do. Like you have to have that acceptance of not only where you are, but acceptance of yourself along the way and like all of the ways that you're going to continue to be imperfect. Yeah. I think too, with nutrition specifically, People think that if they can just look a certain way, if they can hire a coach and they can track their macros and they can like end up looking the way they want to look, that will solve a lot of problems for them in their life. Mm -hmm. But as we've said, like that just the goalpost moves because yeah. that's just the bandaid. Yeah. If they can even do it, mm -hmm. because like I said, nutrition is just there's so much emotion that can be tied to the way that people move through life with food. I've never seen someone, I mean, when you say if they can even do it, I have never seen someone with an aesthetic goal ever achieve that goal. 
And what I mean by that is not like objectively achieve it. Like they may very well achieve the aesthetics that they set out to achieve, but the problem is it's never enough. There's always more. There's Mm -hmm. always more. There's always more. They're never happy. I mean, I talk about this with clients all the time. Like change has to come from a place of self-love. Yeah. If you're changing yourself because you hate yourself, changing your body isn't going to work. I don't think. I mean, like I said, I'm not a therapist, but I know a lot and it's, it just doesn't. I mean, I know a lot of unhappy people who are ripped and look the way that a lot of people want to look. It just, it's not going to work. No. And again, like I, this is a complicated topic and I don't want to misspeak, but I think that often when someone tries to transform their body as a way to make themselves love themselves, it ends up opening up a bit of a can of worms, which is a good thing. Can be, yeah. And it really allows someone to assess where they are at and why and really like solve some deeper issues. And again, like we're not therapists, we're nutrition coaches, but even just having someone to talk to or having someone to admit, it's not even admitting, it's opening up and acknowledging parts of you and parts of your life that can be so freeing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I worked with a client that said that when they, even them filling out the intake form was extremely freeing. I think a lot of people have never had anything normalized especially with food. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't get talked about in the way that we talk about it with people. And so like if you've never had an experience validated or normalized and you don't know that it's okay and common, you can just feel like this really like isolating experience. So having someone basically say like, oh, that's okay. Yeah, that happens all the time. Or even normalize eating certain foods. People go like years without that experience. Mm-hmm. Maybe they grew up in a house with parents who were just awful and made them feel bad for eating certain things. And maybe, you know, their nutrition coach is the first person they've ever had who said, it's okay to eat pasta. Yeah, or to tell them that like, hey, did you know that your language is very like, what's the word? Like impactful? No, by like binary. Binary. Mm -hmm. Like it's not always good and bad. Yeah. You're not always good and bad. It's not always on track or off track. That's not what nutrition is. Unfortunately, a lot of nutrition coaches coach like that. And people on the internet, that's their language that they use. Good, bad, avoid, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really, like we're dealing with shades of gray here. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Big time. But that kind of leads us to our fifth pillar, which is introspection and reflection. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like I said, is tied in with acceptance of reality because you have to be able to look inside And to be able to see yourself from an objective point of view and reflect. Like over time, you have to look and you have to be able to reflect like, what am I doing well? Like, yes, is it perfect? No. Does it need to be? No. Like in a podcast I recorded with Tanya Turner this summer, you know, she said that she measured her success by going to a yearly event that occurs in the summer. It's like a barbecue of some kind. And or a trip. She goes mm-hmm. on a trip and she measured her success or her progress based on how she navigated that weekend compared to the year prior. Hmm. And that is reflection. It's like, I can look at that. I can look at how I handled it this weekend. Was it perfect? No, but it was way better, better in terms of how she defines her success or her relationship with food than a year prior. Yeah. That, and I have people who will say, 
I feel so much more confident going into this holiday than I did last year. That's reflection. And I went to therapy for a period of time. And I remember going into there being like, I remember thinking on the drive there every single week, okay, what did I do well this week? Yeah. What do I need to bring to her that I could have done better? And that's often what I ask my clients. Like, how did you feel you did this week? What yeah. do you feel went well? Like, what was a rose of the week? What was a thorn of the week? Where do you feel like you could have done better? What, you know, focus can we put on the weekend? That ability to reflect is so key for coaching. Because yeah. if I just say like, hey, you did this well, you did this poorly. This is what we need to work on this weekend. Like, that's not going to go as well. But if the person can come with their own solutions or their own self, like criticisms and like constructive criticism, that's so key. And a lot of coaching is, I think, for us is a form of like active journalism. Yeah. Journaling, not like, journalism. <laughs> not, we aren't journalists. Yeah. Active journaling, active listening, like getting people to think a little bit instead of just constantly looking to us to assess how they're doing. And I think that's a hallmark of someone who's like really in the process and doing really well as a client and someone who isn't quite there, like doesn't quite get it. You know, they will come on Wednesday or on Friday with a full assessment of how their week went and what went well and what they learned and what they're going to take moving forward versus someone who is like, can you look at my logs and tell me how I did? Like that's, there's two different clients. Mm -hmm. And like there's some value certainly in assessing food logs. I think that's sort of getting lost in the, you know, missing the forest for the trees kind of a thing. But reflection is huge. And then, you know, we were talking earlier about this word, you know, should. We talk about that word should all the time. And this idea of entitlement to results because of, you know, time spent or money spent or, you know, whatever. I should be seeing results. Or effort. Yeah. Subjective effort. I've been working really hard. And like this is a post you did a couple weeks ago. Like I've been working hard. I should be seeing results. And it's complicated because... Like we said on that post, what is like hard for someone, it can be hard for them and it may still not be enough to get them the results that they want. But what it is, is it, it allows for skill development and progression towards an effort that will yield the progress that they want. But you have to get someone to accept that. Again, talking about acceptance. So this entitlement to results, I should be seeing more results. That's not the right question. The right question is, why am I not? And then being honest with that. What am I not doing? Or like, in what areas am I deficient? And it might not even be something that can be fixed immediately. And again, this goes back to skill development. Like you don't just get to snap your fingers and have the prerequisite skill or ability to make certain types of progress. There's a learning curve sometimes. You have to spend time. and There's no way around that. You have to do it. And so without the right reflection, like without the ability to reflect and to be, you know, introspective and to be critical, and I don't mean like, you know, overly critical. I think people are are perfectly capable of criticizing themselves. I mean, being critical in in an objective sense. Productive. Yeah. Without that ability, the only thing that you'll feel is entitlement followed by frustration. And that will be on repeat in your life. It'll be some amount of effort or money or time followed by entitlement followed by frustration over and over and over again and if that's the pattern like be honest with yourself are you reflecting are you being introspective are you asking the right questions are you being honest 
or are you denying reality? Right. I mean, like you said, these are all kind of tethered. Mm-hmm. There's a lack of acceptance of reality and maybe, you know, denying or exaggerating the time and effort and energy that you're actually putting into something that, you know, you say is a priority, but maybe it isn't. So the reflection is big. And then I got a reflection from a client today that was really awesome who I stopped working with about six months ago. And she's someone who I've worked with for a really long time. We've been through like two iterations and she had a baby during our time together. And anyway, she sent me this really amazing note. Basically, like, I don't know if you get feedback from old clients, but I did want to send you some data and just said I was reflecting and realizing that since we stopped coaching together, I really have been thriving, not by doing anything special, just relying on habits and information learned from the years we've worked together. It's been long enough now that I'm really starting to see the effect of making daily small decisions over time that benefit me in the long run. My body composition and weight is trending back towards pre-baby times. Simultaneously, my endurance, strength, and overall fitness are skyrocketing. But what is most important and meaningful to me is that I spend so little effort thinking about the food I will put into my body each day. Even the thoughts I do have are 97% positive. I honestly didn't ever think that I would be at this point where I could just let go and trust myself to fuel myself without some sort of hard data to track it along the way. It is incredibly mentally freeing. I can't believe I am here. And I have you to thank for a lot of that progress. That's the ultimate goal. That is the ultimate goal to just have that freedom. Yeah. And that confidence and comfort while also making like progress still. I mean, that's the cool thing is when you in this like, I mean, I, I know her so well and she checks all of these boxes. Mm-hmm. But the reflection is one that I think is so big. And even after you're kind of in a good place, like it really is amazing to look back and kind of clap for yourself. And be like, wow, look at me. Look at where I am. Mm-hmm. Look at what I'm doing. I never thought I'd be here. And then, of course, like if someone did help you along the way, like that's a good moment to be like, thank you. Like it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, oh my gosh, first I have to say, Meredith, I feel like if I were to paint a photo of this, and again, this this is an example of this. Paint a photo. You're like, okay, if I were to describe how you sound right now, you're just like this like very fine pencil moving across the paper. You're so Mm well-spoken, making so much sense, so coherent. And I'm just like goobly gop. That sounds like a personal problem. Okay. But I'm going to say that I don't know what I was going to say. It's hard when I, like, I can't speak a lot of words because it hurts. Yeah. So I have to be You're so soft-spoken and I'm just like, here. But I want to say that even though we kind of went deep and especially with the acceptance of reality, Mm -hmm. nutrition is very emotional. And, you know, a lot of people come with history and struggle and all that. But sometimes it can be very like very superficial, very simple. And it's just, it is improving your nutrition, which will improve your health. And sometimes people are in a really, really great spot to make changes. Yeah. And those are great clients to work with. But even if you do have some emotional baggage or you have some things that you're struggling with or working through, like that's just another reason to just start the process of looking deeper and really seeing like, where can I make improvements? What is impacting my quality of life? So it's like, 
yeah, you can go deep. You can get to know a coach. You can, it doesn't even need to be a coach or someone you hire. It can be a friend. It can be just with you starting journaling. Or it can be as simple as just, yeah, hiring a coach to start macros and learning about nutrition. But all of these same principles apply. Yeah. Whether it doesn't matter how deep you go, it can be very superficial. But once again, like this all applies in a big way. Yeah. I mean, arguably these concepts apply in many, many different areas, not just nutrition. I would say in any process-oriented striving, all of these are prerequisites to lasting and sustainable change. You know what I struggle with? Mm. Being a partner with you. Oh, do you? Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, ah, she's so smart. Why is English so hard? Yeah, you're supposed to say, Alex, don't be silly. Oh. You're doing a great job. I wouldn't say don't be silly because that would be invalidating. (laughs) I know. Which does really bookend this I know. That was on purpose. Nice job. I'm just, I'm witty like that. Yeah. Just (laughs) throwing me up. I'm making absolutely no sense today. I don't know. I think you did a good job. Thanks. I appreciate you kind of driving this one. My throat hurts. You did awesome. You made a lot of sense. Hopefully this resonated or at least pieces of it resonated with you as a human being, you listeners out there. And if you are a current client of ours, I would like to say thank you for helping us learn. I think I was thinking back the other day and a lot of what I have learned and the coach that I have become is a result of being able to work with people and people opening and, and bringing their struggles and their wins and all those things, the ups and the downs along mm-hmm. the way to us and trusting us with that. Yeah. It's been huge. I think the best way to learn is to do and work with people. And we've been lucky enough to work with a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some really good ones though. Yeah. Thank you. If you like this episode, please share it with friends, subscribe, like, leave us a review. And we appreciate your support and we'll catch you on the next one.